in the words of Omawali Malcolm X, to educate a man is to educate an individual. To educate a woman is to educate and liberate a nation. In celebration of International Women's Day, African Queens, a 10-part series honoring our ancestors through their shared stories, empowering and educating through history. We celebrate the lives of these powerful sheroes, including Nani of the Maroons, Kandaki, Mbuyo Nahanda, Ya Esantiwa, Queen Nandi, Empress Menin, and many more African Queens. Welcome to African Queens. I first started to learn more about African Queens over the last couple of years with an artist called Christelle Pellicure, who did an amazing project called African Queens, which really brought together members of our community in Bristol, women of all ages of African heritage. We were all given the opportunity to research into an African queen of our choice. And then the plan was to do a photo shoot depicting that queen. And I learned about so many names in history, so many achievements and contributions that I just didn't know about. So many people that we just do not learn about. So the queen that I chose to research into, and I'm not entirely sure how I stumbled across her, but it is Queen Scotia of Egypt. And her period goes back to around 1700 BC. And the legend is that actually she may have been the daughter of Nefertiti, the wife of Tutankhamun. Many of us will have heard the name Nefertiti. Many of us will wear or have seen or have worn the jewellery with the head of Nefertiti represented. So it's quite a common figure. But Scotia certainly less known about. And the legend is that actually Queen Scotia was exiled and ended up in Ireland and Scotland. And some legends have it that she is actually the founding mother of Ireland and Scotland. So that is really fascinating and really resonated with me because I am of dual heritage and I'm of African, Jamaican descent and also Scottish descent. So I just found that whole concept really, really empowering and something that is very uniting. So it really spoke to me. Okay, so moving on to our next queen, and this is Queen Kandake, the Empress of Ethiopia, ruling queen of Kush that defeated the Romans. Roman Emperor Alexander the Great reached Kemet, which was ancient Egypt, in 332 BC, then headed south of Egypt, planning to conquer the kingdoms in the reign of Nubia, or Kush. However, the Romans were not aware of this formidable African woman. She was a warrior queen who commanded her soldiers in battle, something which many of them might have never seen before. While such a thing may have been commonplace in other kingdoms, it was not to the Romans, it was something new. Her bravery and composure in her conflict with the Romans is legendary and was apparently ready for anything that came her way. In the war that lasts five years, from 27 BCE to 22 BCE, she got a scar in one of her eyes in the battle. 
but this did not stop her by any means. In 24 BCE, when Alexander attempted to conquer her lands, she arranged her army strategically. She launched an attack on the Roman forces. She defeated and destroyed the Roman forces at two locations. She even drove them from Elephantine Island all the way to northern Egypt. Many historians described her as brave and blinding one eye. She took everything that belonged to the Roman forces, including several statues of Emperor Augustus. To our next queen, Amina Muhammad. When her father died in 1566, the crown was conferred upon her younger brother, Although her father's reign was characterised by peace and prosperity, Amina nonetheless chose to spend her time honing her military skills with the warriors in the cavalry. Age six, my grandfather taught me how to hold a spear. Age ten, I was given my own spear. Age sixteen, I was named Magajia, heir apparent. You see... In the days before our customs were changed by European ways, many kingdoms were led by women. While socially and economically, pre-colonial Nigerian societies clearly delineated women's and men's roles, this did not preclude women from asserting their authority or themselves. Which seems to be quite a common theme through many of the queens, doesn't it? That women were certainly able to command armies not just respect. To our next queen, who is Nahanda Muboya Nayabingi. Nahanda is thought to be the spirit of Nayamita, who is believed to have lived during the 15th century. Though there are many stories regarding Nayamita, it appears that she was the daughter of a king of northern Shona territory. She possessed great spiritual powers and was said to have disappeared into a mountain that bears her name. Nahanda quickly became one of the most important women. The mediums have given the title Nahanda, or Mubuya Nahanda, Mubuya meaning the Shona word for grandmother and a title of respect. One well-known mediums of Nahanda was Shawe, who helped lead the War of Liberation against British settlers in what is now called Zimbabwe in 1896 then called Mashona land. Nahanda refused to be converted to Christianity and was dragged by 10 men to the gallows and it took them an hour, but she remained resolute. The priest wrote that she was possessed. She was a 68 year old woman and she wanted that her bones would rise again and she asked to be buried in the land of her ancestors. They took her head off of her body and skinned her and threw the flesh to dogs and dried the bones. The bones were presented like a trophy and still exist in the museum in London, which people pay to see. It's a question that museums around the world struggle with. Who owns art, antiquities, cultural artifacts, and even human remains taken by colonial powers over the past few centuries? Beyond things like the Benin bronzes that are being repatriated back to places like Nigeria, this feels like it's actually spiritually significant because it was one of her requests that her bones would be buried in her ancestral homelands. And that seems to have a spiritual significance. So I think that's a campaign that perhaps needs to be taken up, getting Queen Nahanda's bones back to modern day Zimbabwe and finding out more about where they are held 
in London. Right, over to Nigeria now with Queen Moreme from Ili Efe Kingdom. Nigerian Queen Moreme was a courageous queen who is fabled to have contributed to the deliverance of the Yoruba tribe from oppression. Famed to be one of the most heroic women that ever lived, Moreme's selfless sacrifice helped with the preservation of the Yoruba tribe. Her brave act of going behind enemy lines to learn their secrets and help her people defeat its oppressors is enough to celebrate her. But that she also had to sacrifice her only child is even further reinforcement of the love she had for her people. Right, we're gonna go over to the Caribbean now and Solitude, warrior woman of Guadeloupe who fought against French troops in 1802 whilst pregnant. Live free or die were Solitude's last words when she was executed for her involvement in the 1802 enslavement rebellion in Guadeloupe. Well, that's really interesting, isn't it? And the words live free or die, of course, echo the great Haitian or Haiti mantra, which was freedom or death. And of course, many of us will understand Haiti's role as the first free republic, first republic and country in the Western world that was led by Africans. And of course, the Haitian Revolution, that was probably the biggest rebellion and uprising during the period of chattel enslavement. Staying with the Caribbean, and we're over to Jamaica now with Nanny of the Maroons. Nanny of the Maroons was an 18th century leader of the Jamaican Maroons. She led a community of formerly enslaved Africans called the Windward Maroons. According to Maroon oral history, Nanny's success in defeating her people against overwhelming British forces was often attributed to her mysterious supernatural powers. According to legend, Nanny had magical powers and could catch bullets and then redirect them at the people who shot at her. Well, that's really speaking to the spiritual practice and belief from an African-centered perspective there. I think in Jamaica, we do still have elements of that, as we do in other countries. Again, places like Haiti are well known for that. People would call it voodoo and other associated practices. And clearly was something that was also integral to much of these struggles defeating colonial Western powers. So again, another debate that has happened, is happening, needs to continue, is what is the role today in traditional spiritual practices and belief in terms of the next push for liberation for people of African heritage and others? Because when we reflect, this has, of course, been something that has been pushed to the margins, denied and vilified, really. It's only now that we're coming out of the other side of that, where a new wave of African diaspora descendants are looking more into it and wishing to take this up and reclaim it rather than some of the mainstream religions that were, of course, imposed upon us. 
over to modern day Ghana and Ya Ashantiwa from the Ashanti Kingdom. Ashantiwa was born in October 1840 and was the Queen Mother in the Ashanti Empire, now part of modern day Ghana. Appointed by her brother, she was an intellectual, a politician, and a human rights activist, queen, and leader. Ya Ashantiwa became famous for leading the Ashanti Rebellion against British colonialism to defend the Golden Stool. Four wars in 50 years. We, the Ashanti, have fought against the British and their allies, and we have been victorious. Ashantiwa understood the ramifications of British occupation. She is seen by Ghanaians today as a queen mother who exercised her political and social clout to help defend her kingdom. The role she played in influencing the Ashanti men to battle the British appears to be a function of her matriarchal status. I think further to that as well, there are famous speeches documented by Ya Ashantiwa where she really has a huge go at the men. Whilst they are reserved and perhaps in some ways cowarding against the British, she's the one who stands up and really takes on the battle. And now for another inspiring queen. Gosh, there's so many of them and it really is inspiring. Queen Nandi from the Zulu Kingdom, South Africa, was resilient as a mother and the hope against social pressures. She was the mother of Shaka Zulu, one of the Zulu kingdom's greatest kings. According to historians, during the reign of her son, she had significant influence over the affairs of the kingdom. Empress Menin Afau of Ethiopia was the wife and consort of Emperor Haile Selassie I. Over the years, little has been written about the remarkable life of this empress. She married in early August of 1911. She was 20 years old and the future emperor was very impressed by her character and friendly disposition. Over time, Empress Menin Asfau gave her husband, Emperor Haile Selassie, six children. She also served as patroness of the Ethiopian Red Cross and the Ethiopian Women's Charitable Organization. She was also a patroness of the Jerusalem Society that arranged for pilgrimages to the Holy Land. She founded the Empress Menin School for Girls in Addis Ababa, the first all-girls school which had both boarding and day students. She gave generously from her personal funds towards the building of the new cathedral of St. Mary of Zion at Axum but did not live to see it completed and dedicated. African Queens is produced by Sound Women Southwest Network in collaboration with Rizana Africa.